Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am excited to bring you something different today. I have been wanting to talk for some time with Casey Davis. Casey is a licensed professional counselor, author, speaker, and the person behind the mental health platform Struggle Care. She has a podcast by the same name and is the author of How to Keep House While Drowning. Casey and I recently connected and decided to do something a little bit different a two part podcast series. And during our initial chat to discuss what we might talk about, we both lit up about the idea of addressing gratitude during hard seasons. And at that point, decided to span the conversation across two episodes because, well, there is a lot to talk about. This topic was top of mind for us given that we are squarely on the holiday runway, yet also tough seasons are ever present. So I think that no matter when you are coming to this conversation, there will be much here for you. I know from listening to Casey's show that she is compassionate and practical, a deep and nuanced thinker, but it was another thing to record directly with her and truly it was so nourishing and I felt my mind expanding as I listened to her perspective on things. You can hear the first part of our conversation, Gratitude During Hard Seasons, on Struggle Care, and in that episode we talk about reframing perspectives on gratitude and cover everything from toxic positivity to strategies to enable mind shifts to flexing emotional muscles, while also accounting for one's lived experiences. In today's episode, the second part, we focus on tactical framing, covering topics such as how we have tapped into gratitude over time, relationships and finding support, and practical coping skills. I really hope you enjoy these two conversations and be sure to subscribe to Struggle Care. Now, one of the things that came up in our conversations was the power of articulating gratitude. So I thought I would take this moment to read a listener review. The title of the review is Like Talking with a Best Friend. I recommend Edit Your Life to the parents and humans in my life 
all the time. Past episodes with Christine and Asha are like listening in to a conversation between my own friends. I learned so much from their easy and thoughtful conversations. It's enlightening. I feel like I've become more empathetic with my kids and in life because of this podcast. The latest episodes with Christine are like having a chat with a friend over coffee. Thank you for teaching me gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. I am so deeply grateful that people share themselves both with me directly via email or direct messages, and then also in public via reviews like this. They warm my heart so very much and really propel me to keep doing what I'm doing here. So thank you. I would be so grateful if you would tell a friend about Edit Your Life sometime soon. That's what will help the show continue to grow and help us all continue to make change in our very small, micro, and joyful ways together. We'll be right back. Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. StoryWorth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick. For example, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? And what aspects of having children didn't turn out the way you expected? Your loved one responds to that email with a story of any length. You will receive copies of these emails as they are submitted. And after one year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and any photos provided into a keepsake book. A friend recently shared how moving it was that her mom gifted copies of her StoryWorth album to immediate family members, a genius idea for expanding the preservation and sharing of those stories to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com edit. That's storyworth.com edit to save $10 on your first purchase. As you know, I am all about micro-improvements, and if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. So Casey, I am just so delighted to continue this conversation. We have an amazing conversation on reframing around gratitude that has happened over on your incredible podcast, Struggle Care. So thanks for joining me for another session. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is great. Well, I wanted to get a little bit tactical and start with, and again, I really talk a lot on Edit Your Life and through Asha and my book about how you need 
sort of the foundational structure in order to implement true and lasting change. So I really recommend folks go over and listen to our conversation on struggle care because we talk a lot about, I mean, everything, right? Toxic positivity and gratitude as a, um, a muscle to develop. I mean, there was so much, but I would love for you to start us off here because I thought it would be really interesting to talk about how we have tapped into gratitude over time. And I was hoping you wouldn't mind winding back towards the start of your, or as a young adult, a teenager, because I think how we tap into it is going to change an awful lot depending on where we are in life. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mentioned in the last episode, this idea of a gratitude list that my rehab made me keep. I was in rehab for 18 and a half months when I was 16. I had a really severe drug addiction, a lot of mental health problems. And one of the things that was the most difficult about recovering from addiction is that when you use drugs, you are really affecting your brain chemistry. You're Mm. really affecting the neural pathways of your brain. And you're really messing with this concept called the hedonic threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, so hedonic, same root as hedonism, you know, the idea of pleasure, mm-hmm. um, that when I was using substances, when I was using cocaine, when I was using meth, I was flooding my brain. I was going, or it's more accurate to say that the drugs were triggering my brain to flood me with all the feel good chemical hormones that my brain creates. Mm-hmm. But your brain really likes um, homeostasis. It really likes balance. It really likes to kind of level off. And so every time I did that, I sort of upped my standard for what feels good. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of like a ceiling, You know, you have these really great things in life that feel amazing, like Christmas morning that like kind of hit that ceiling. And then you have the things that maybe feel midway, like going on a date with your husband. And then you have things toward the bottom, like, oh, I saw a beautiful flower today. Right. And then, you know, moving down towards things that aren't happy at all or pleasurable at all. Um, But it really wants to kind of keep this idea of um, a basic baseline. Mm -hmm. And if you put enough drugs into your brain, you will blow through that ceiling to heights of euphoria you have never felt before. And it feels amazing in the moment, but your brain starts to go, well, that's too high. So let's reset baseline. If that's, if that's what is going to feel really, really good, let's, let's just move the whole scale up. So what you find after some time is that the things that used to bring you pleasure, like seeing a pretty flower, like going on a date with your husband, like playing with your puppy or watching a good TV show, they no longer feel good. Mm-hmm. And when I got sober and I stopped using drugs, what was so difficult was that I felt emotionally numb and I felt like nothing made me happy. And so you can obviously see why you would just go back to using drugs, but I couldn't because right. I was institutionalized. And it was explained to me that it was going to take some time for my brain to learn how to reset that threshold so that I could experience pleasure again when doing normal, pleasurable things. Mm-hmm. So what did, the, what did those first steps look like? Where, how, do you, how do you do that after, after a reset or, or something like that when your threshold is, is in a different place? 
Well, the hardest one that was made easier by the fact I was institutionalized was staying away from the substances, mm-hmm. was staying away from the big spikes mm-hmm. um, and sort of learning some coping skills to deal with distressing emotions so that I didn't feel like I had to run to those things. Mm. But that freaking gratitude list was <laughs> one of the things that they told me to do. And it felt really silly. Um but, well, and explain that in case people are listening to this episode first before they listen sure. to our conversation on struggle care. So we had this list of things we had to do every day. And um, there were a few things on that list. One of them was like, talk about your feelings for 15 minutes to a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was like, read a, uh, like an inspirational kind of meditational book. One of them was meditate in the morning. And one of them was make a list of 10 things that you are grateful for. And we had to do this every single day. And a lot of these things are things that in the moment they didn't feel like they were doing anything. But over time, I realized that they started to genuinely build new neural pathways in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you start off with writing down the big things like I'm grateful to be sober today. I'm grateful for my mother. I'm grateful for this, that and the other. And then like by day seven, day 14, day 364, you're like, "Uh, okay, let me think of some other things to be grateful for here. (laughs) And you start having to put like the smallest of things, right? Like that piece of pizza I had for lunch, that was such a good piece of pizza. Yeah. Or like it rained last night and I fell asleep to the sound of the rain. And so while I'm dealing with these huge emotional issues, I don't think I'm worthy. I've been abandoned, you know, all these sort of things. I'm doing that in therapy. Like I'm doing that at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm being forced to focus on parts of my day that brought me pleasure, even if it was momentarily. And it, mm-hmm. we talked a little in the first episode about the idea that like joy is the momentary experience and gratitude is the reflection and amplification of the joy. And so, yeah, it was nice when I heard that rain, but then forcing myself to think back mm-hmm. on that moment of pleasure when I heard the rain, um, that was creating really important neuropathways in my brain, wiring my brain for seeing the good, for being more optimistic, um, because my brain was so wired to see the negative and to see the reasons to go back and use. And so it was these small things. And, and I think what was so important is that it wasn't like do a gratitude journal instead of go to therapy. It wasn't mm-hmm. do a gratitude journal instead of get sober, instead of go cry about how you feel abandoned, instead of look at your sense of worthiness and figure out a way to repair that. It was something alongside of um, not to erase the bad stuff or if you don't think about, you know, how much everything sucks to be 16 in rehab and you just think about the rain, how good the rain looks, it, you know, it doesn't erase it. It doesn't make it better. But it was teaching my brain to recognize that the pain is survivable. Mm-hmm. And that and that joy and beauty is still existing in my life, even in small pieces. Yes, yes. You know, this really reminds me of a story of a situation. Really, this was a few years back. I can't even remember exactly. I feel like it's like three years. It was. It was actually no. It was a little more because it was pre-pandemic. But I was having a really chaotic summer, um, and I had this experience in my office where I, 
I don't even know what happened to me physiologically. Like the best that my husband and I could characterize it as was some kind of like stress seizure. I basically collapsed onto the floor, (laughs) could not move and, and was sort of like momentarily just sort of frozen for, for some, not momentarily. I mean, some moments of time, like I was just in a very, very bad place. And, you know, once I got moving again and it's incredible how much like sort of either blocking out or stress or whatever contributes to how much of that I've erased in my memory. But once I got myself back up and into a chair and like, oh my gosh, what on earth just happened? It was at that moment where I decided it's making me think of your list and us writing our list at at the same time, even though you were 16 years old when you were doing it. But I said, okay, all right, I'm in triage mode. Like I need, I'm, I'm, I'm in a really bad way. I need to write down the tiny little things that will help me, you know, be in a better place, decrease my stress, whatever it may be. And actually, I don't even think I was telling myself they must be small. But what I realized when I read the list, I mean, the list was very micro. It was things like playing tennis with my husband down at the tennis courts around the corner from our house or reading a book or making a batch of cookies with my kids. I mean, really like one, the things, my two realizations were one, that the things were very small. And two, the really big one was that the things were very accessible. They were right in my reach. It wasn't like I was saying, if I could just escape to Aruba for like three weeks, all would be well. Mm. (laughs) It was very, very doable. And that was how I slowly sort of pulled myself out of the hole. And it wasn't, you know, we talk a lot beautifully and you had so many beautiful framings in our other conversation, but you know, we talked a lot about not discounting the difficult and the hard feelings and all of that and how crucial that is. And that, you know, working through that helps you pull yourself out of the hole. And I really feel like that's where I was in that moment, like tapping into those small things. I'm not sure if I had full capacity to be extraordinarily grateful about them, but I had enough in the tank where it was helping. Yeah. It also makes me think, you know, we're we're talking about this right before we go into the holidays. And we mentioned that briefly on the other episode of, especially if you are what I refer to as like the magic maker in your Mm -hmm. home or your family. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hosting twice for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I'm really excited about it. It's the first time since I moved to a place where I actually have room to host that I'm doing it. And one of the things that's been really key for me the last couple of years um, as sort of the magic maker is slowing down and looking at, you know, what am I about to do in this holiday season Mm. that I want to do that brings me Mm. joy? And what am I about to do because I feel obligated, Yes. because I feel judged, because I feel like it's important, because I feel like I'll disappoint someone. And I mean, I'm a realist. I'm not saying that just do whatever you want to do. Nobody matters. But I think that part of this conversation is also about like, if I want to be able to maximize my ability to see the good, to feel grateful, to amplify the joy, part of that is also what do I need to sort of step back from? Mm-hmm. What can I let go of? You know, it it doesn't need to be perfect and we don't need to do every single invite 
and we don't, I don't have to put on a show and, you know, maybe it's also sitting down with your family and saying, I don't want to be the only magic maker, Mm -hmm. right? Who let's redistribute some of this magical labor. And, you know, maybe I won't go, and this isn't me personally, but maybe you're going, maybe I won't go to that family Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I'll do a Friendsgiving or maybe I will like, I think that that's a part of this conversation too, is like, you know, I think the practices of gratitude are only as powerful as the partner practices that you're pairing them with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And it took me a, a beat to realize that you were actually talking about you, not like hypothetical you, but you actually hosting like oh, yeah. multiple events. So I'm like trying not to hyperventilate over here, but it did make me think about, um, because it's interesting, I have two kids and my older one is definitely a doer like me. I mean, I think one, I like your phrase magic, your term magic maker, and I would characterize her with me in that. And I remember um, this was, she was quite a bit younger, but we had one holiday season. I think we must have been hosting because I don't know why we would have had such a laundry list of things to do otherwise. But she was getting really wound up about all the things to do. And in that moment, I just said, you know what, let's reorder this list and reorder it in the order of fun. Like what would be Mm -hmm. the most fun things to do? And then like the, the more obligatory things fall to the end of the list. And then I said, let's just start in order. And that way, you know, the stuff that we don't get to that falls off on the bottom of the list Like we didn't, it probably means we really, really didn't want to do it anyway. And it wasn't that necessary. And it ended up being this like unexpected magical exercise because we got to focus on the stuff we were super excited about. And then there was all sorts of obligatory crap that we just didn't do. And it was great. (laughs) Well, and I feel like that is a practice, like the practice of gratitude. Cause so far, I feel like we've talked a lot about like kind of the recognition, like looking for remembering, reflecting. But I think there's there's really something to be said about the practice of gratitude also being, you know, saying no to things. Yes. And taking the pressure off. Because if I recognize, like, going into this season, I have so many things to be grateful for that I, you know, harking back to our other, like, definition, like, I have so many good things, the potential for so many good things that that benefit me and bring me pleasure that that are not even of my doing, just like things really good about life that I'm going to get to enjoy, but I'm only going to get to enjoy them. Like if I take seriously my right to rest, Mm -hmm. um, letting go of perfection, not trying to be all things to all people. Like I think in some ways that is the practice of gratitude of Mm -hmm. I don't want those moments to slip by. I don't want Mm -hmm. to sit there on Christmas morning and be so stressed about ABC not being right or being so overworked that I'm just, you know, I'm done by the halfway through the day because I won't get to engage those small things that otherwise would have brought me a lot of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Well, now I have to ask you one of my all important favorite topical questions, which is based on your personal and professional experiences. I would love for you to share how, or what are some of your best tactics for establishing the boundaries or saying no in relationships that you care about. (laughs) Because I feel like that's going to be really important for people. And it will offer, when you can do that, it offers the space to be grateful both for showing up 
aligned to your values and also still having space in your life. That's that's how I'm framing it anyway. Yeah. Well, I think the first one is like when it comes to my kids and the amount of things that like school puts out. Ooh, yes. Um, uh, like when they get to an age, because there's an age where they don't notice, but when they get to an age where you actually sit down with them and you model that like, man, here's all of the stuff. And if we try to do all of it, we won't have fun at any of it. Mm-hmm. So like, let's talk about whether it's, you know, which of these events are we going to go to? Or even like, you know, literally the school calendar is like, on the first of the day, wear crazy socks. On the second of the day, wear crazy hair. On yes. the third of the day, and it's like the whole month. And I'm like, here's the thing. I am unwilling to purchase items every single day for these things. I'm unwilling to be yelling at people in the morning about it. I'm unwilling to be stressed about it at night. Like, let's sit down and talk about which of these things we will be participating in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think another, you know, I, I had to look at what I was doing and why. So, like, I love to decorate. Um, I love it a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I will, my mom comes over, we decorate the whole house. Um, I don't love to cook. And so I am not going to cook some big spread for Thanksgiving. Now I'm hosting Thanksgiving. Potluck. That is your friend. <laughs> right? Like I'm either, you know, the, there's so many options. You can potluck, you can this. I've been like, I go to the grocery store or do I go to the honey baked ham place and I'll say, okay, I will cook a turkey and I'll cook like our family's famous dressing. And then like, I'm going to buy the other sides or ask somebody else to make the other sides. Whereas I think that somebody else might feel differently about those. They might go, I love nothing more than being in the kitchen with my family cooking, but like, I don't care what the house looks like. And yeah, that's okay. totally. Totally. This reminds me also, and actually Asha Dornfest, my beloved former co-host is a big fan of like getting the sides and doing outsourcing the things that you're, you're not really excited about. But while I will never, ever sugarcoat or silver line the pandemic and all the terribleness that happened around that, I will say that one byproduct related to the holidays was that that very first Thanksgiving after when we couldn't go anywhere and everybody was distancing, it was a moment of realization for my family and me that we were like, wow, we don't, we're not even really turkey people. We don't really like stuffing. Like, I mean, there was just so, <laughs> there were so many things we didn't even like. And we're like, well, we don't have to make any, make any of this or bring it anywhere. So what do we want to make? And we ended up making six different pies. That's all we made. Some of them were savory. Some of them were sweet. And it was my kids to this day. They're like, we're just going to do pie Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> I love that. But it and was then, so it was so great. And it's just it's awesome that the way that that stuck and it gave us a chance to really tap into what we wanted to do and what we loved. And it affects your ability to be grateful. You know, it like does. you could sit down and make yourself grateful about the one pie that you had in the midst of cooking everything and, and being stressed. But like with some little tweaks and not everyone can make the same tweaks. But when we make those little tweaks that we can, we amplify our ability to do that. I will say this, like, you know, talking about gratitude over time, we haven't talked a lot about gratitude in relationships, like being grateful of a person. Yes. Tell me about Um, your thoughts there. Well, so I'm in the middle of writing this book. Um, My next book is about relationships. And in particular, it's about the difficulty 
of how hard it is to kind of accurately assess your relationship when you maybe didn't have models Mm -hmm. or maybe you've got some things going on in your life that are not represented in a lot of discourse about relationships. You've got some mental health stuff or you're neurodivergent and it's kind of, you're going, okay, I know that like arguing is normal, but then there's like a level of it that's like not good for me, but like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know how to look at my relationship and kind of assess we, and whether that's your romantic relationship or your friendships or, you know, your, your parenting. And as much as I hate to say that, like, they're, you know, that normal is a thing, I think that that's what the feeling is. It's like, what is normal? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think gratitude is an interesting one to kind of bring into that conversation because I will sometimes see things where someone will go, you know, my partner, um, you know, it's so important for your partner to be considerate of you. My partner every morning wakes up early, makes the coffee and brings me a cup of coffee in bed. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, that's so sweet. And then if you're (laughs) like me, you go, well, my partner doesn't do that. (laughs) And then I almost get into this weird place of shame of like, Oh, is my relationship not good enough? Yeah, yeah. Like, is my, you know, are we not measuring up? And what has been helpful to me, especially because it's easy to compare other people's, um, I always say like you compare their highlight reel to your behind the scenes yes. footage. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, I I have a like loving, respectful relationship. And so the context of, like the the place for gratitude in that is when you see those things that want to make you compare and you go, okay, well, let's stop for a second. My partner is never going to wake up early and make a pot of coffee. It's not his thing. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And if, if the whole point of that person talking about their partner waking up early for the coffee, yada, yada, was they think about me and they put effort into brightening my day. Well, then I go, well, you know what? My partner, every time he goes to the 7-Eleven on the way home, he doesn't go every day, but every time he goes on the way home to get himself something, he always brings home a red Gatorade Mm -hmm. because I love red Gatorade. And the first three years of asking, do you want anything in the store? And sometimes I would say that now it's just automatic. He just brings it home. Yeah. And there is this aspect of, okay, you know, this is the real person that I chose to be in partnership with. And they're not going to have all the same strengths as everyone else. And I don't have all the same strengths as everyone else. Um, but it's important to me to focus on those times that that he does express those things because mm-hmm. that's his strength. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the reason that I always tread lightly here is because the point of gratitude in relationships is to support the reality of your relationship, not to deny it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the way you talked about the uh, somebody's highlight reel versus your behind the scenes, I mean, I think that's so accurate, especially around the holidays. I, I don't know, my mind is always, when I'm looking at social or whatever, at these times of year, I actually feel just super anxious because I was in a very toxic relationship at one point, um, pre-marriage where, um, this person didn't have anywhere to go for holidays. And so I always thought about that when I was with my family. And now, like, I think 
So now when I see holiday highlight reels, I I always think about the people who are on their own and don't have support. But that's related to actually something I wanted to pivot to a little bit more. And I would love to hear your thoughts about the ability to access gratitude and um, even process it contingent on what your support system looks like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of referenced earlier in our conversation, I can't remember if it was this one or the first episode, you know, seeing my daughter get off the bus and come running to me going, mama, in front mm-hmm. of all the kids on the bus and having that moment of like, wow, I'm, I want to savor this moment. And we often talk about savoring the moment as an exercise, but I have experienced it instead as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not the cause, like we talk about it as the cause of gratitude, right? So if someone says, I'm just so overwhelmed with parenting, I'm just so overwhelmed with, with you know, all the needs and all of this, and it's so much work. And, well, you know, think about this and and think about, you know, how great it is when they come off the da-da-da. That's like, okay, that's going to cause gratitude. I, I have really experienced it as the result of gratitude, though, which is, you know, when I got to a place, like fast forward, uh, you know, a couple of years, and I feel more supported now than I was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Just in general. Um, and it's like the space for gratitude has opened up for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when your needs are being met, it makes room for those kinds. It's, or it's, I guess it's easier to make those observations. Yes. Um, and I'm not having to, to, you know, look for the needle in the haystack when I'm trying to look for something to be grateful for. And I think that's really important because when you see someone talking about gratitude, when you see someone saying, just focus on the good stuff. I mean, this good thing is happening and this good thing is happening and this good thing is happening. Um, I mean, it's really easy to be grateful when all your needs are met. Yeah. <laughs> Completely, completely. Yeah, and I, think I don't that, want that to become a way of bypassing like legitimate conversations of, hey, I'm I'm not being cared for enough. I'm not being supported enough. Mm-hmm. No amount of gratitude is going to take like change that or fix that. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that gratitude can't be helpful, but it does mean, like we said earlier, like gratitude is something that helps you enjoy the beauty of life amidst the difficulty. Yes. And it has to give you permission to take the difficulty seriously and hold it up and go, no, we will address this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have so many cute little quote cards I'm going to make <laughs> from you, Casey. <laughs> you're, you just have so much wisdom that you're bringing uh, to this very nuanced conversation. And I'm really appreciative of that. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back to talk about some practical coping skills. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. 
Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com edit for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Friends, we're back with the wonderful Casey Davis. And I actually want to start, Casey, talking about an episode you recently published called When Mindfulness Doesn't Work. It was with Dr. Raquel Martin. And I think I wanted to bring this up because I remember I was listening to it and I was typing some notes into my my phone app because I was like, (laughs) ooh, this is like, there's nuance, there's connectivity here. And I think the reason I wanted to bring it up and get your further thoughts on it is because as we talked about earlier, there's no one size fits all solution for gratitude or mindfulness. And the thing that really struck me about your conversation was the section where you were talking about tapping into sensory delights as a source of calm and healing. So, um, you know, she was talking about, you know, good smells, tactile things like crocheting. And I love the idea of tuning into sensory things that you respond positively to. And then also like the power of switching up the sensory focus as like a novel stimuli, mm-hmm. which I think was, mm-hmm. is really, really cool. And I mean, part of my dissertation was on multimodal, like this shouldn't be surprising to me, <laughs> but anyway, I just think it's, you know, so for example, say you're listening to a meditation, you know, switching the sensory modality to something like smell or taste or whatever is, is probably for novelty's sake going to be more effective than switching to a different meditation track. So I'm curious if you have thoughts about doing similar self-evaluations parallel to mindfulness with gratitude. Yes. I, you know, and I think it, it, it ties into that conversations about sensory delights because, you know, the little example that I kept going back to as we've been talking about, you know, when I was sitting on my porch this morning working and it was raining and I was thinking, gosh, I love the rain and giving myself permission to stop and really have this like meta awareness of, I, I, you know, I didn't make this come about. It's just happening and good things happen to me sometimes. And yes, Mm. distressing things do too. Sometimes, you know, life is a big, weird, meaningless swirl, but just like sometimes the suffering is random, the beauty is too. 
And the whole swirl is ultimately worth it if I allow myself to uh, be aware and experience and honor the whole breadth of the experience. And so, you know, but that recognition, like what was pleasurable in that is like the sound of rain is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And there's something about slowing down and going, well, how many things are pleasurable to me that I could actually do and create? And, you know, there was a time when I was talking about like doing a reset of my space, which is what I call like having to kind of do my Sunday clean. Mm-hmm. And we have this idea of, you know, once I clean everything up, you know, the icing on the cake is like, I'll put a candle that I love in the middle. And it's like this reward. And what I started doing was flipping that and, and doing it backwards and saying, actually, what I like to do before I clean anything is do, um, I'm really into simmer pots. So I have this like pretty pot mm-hmm. and you put water in it and it boils and you put like cinnamon and yeah. cloves yeah. and like things that smell really good and music that, that sounds really good and, and then move into um, the cleaning. And so you have this moment of not just pleasure, but gratitude, right? So like I allow myself, I set it up. I allow myself to have the joy of this smells good. This sounds good. And I allow myself that moment of gratitude to reflect on and smells exist. Mm-hmm. Like this <laughs> yeah, song isn't that exists. amazing? <laughs> like that, that's amazing. And, and it doesn't have to be deep or profound. It can literally just go, oh, and I like that. Like that's kind of in practice the more that it's not this big, like, wow. Um, and I think that tuning into those sensory things that you respond positive to do, and allowing yourself to take a beat and recognize it does that same reinforcement of, you know, those neural pathways that allows you to notice things better and and more clearly as you go along. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I was just reminded of a a couple tactics that I wanted to share. One I was the beneficiary of, but I was just this past weekend, uh, we're recording this before my 50th birthday. And uh, over the weekend, I was with my family and we were killing time in the car. You know, we have a couple hour car ride ahead of us. And my husband said, okay, let's, let's play a game. He's usually the one that kind of keeps the kids from (laughs) getting tremendously bored and unruly. And he said, let's, let's see if we can come up with 50 things we appreciate about mom. So I got Mm. to just sit there. And listen to them reel things off. But I will say, even if it's not, you don't get a 50 things about mom or whoever list, I think there is a power to saying things out loud, whether it's in that kind of way, whether I actually think I learned this tactic from an educator friend years ago, but she was talking about how when your kid comes from school, one of the, one of the really good tactics you can do with them is ask them for a high and a low on the day. Like what was something great that happened? What was something crappy? And it both gives you like a sense of what happened and also gives them a chance to give voice to both the good and the bad, which is really related to what we've been talking about across these two episodes about the need to have all the feelings and to not discount, you know, the the difficult stuff in service of the positive stuff. So I mean, I think saying those things out loud, we also do before dinner, you know, we'll, we'll say our form of grace and we usually say a couple things we're grateful for. And I think those tiny little moments of articulation 
can really be powerful over time. I feel like there's a cumulative effort in some way or effect rather. Yeah. And I also think, you know, when we are talking to, even if it's our friends, our, um, our partners, you know, the people in our lives about difficult things, I think that that's a good sort of rule of thumb for anyone. Like, you know, before we jump to the highs to honor those lows. And if somebody Mm. is talking about something difficult with me, you know, maybe allowing yourself to ask two or three curious questions Mm -hmm. about what the difficult thing is before moving on to trying to comfort them. Um, And, you know, everybody has a different communication style and a different sort of way that they approach things. And so I have found that helpful just the idea of getting curious. So, and what did that, what did that feel like? So what are you, so what are you telling yourself? And what, and I have to kind of allow myself to not assume that I understand what someone is describing. Yeah. Um, and, and ask those clarifying questions. And, and sometimes that's like the best way that I know to prevent myself from rushing someone to a solution or to comfort or to like them feeling as though I'm engaging in that toxic positivity, which is like giving voice to, we just, we've talked a couple of times about giving voice to the difficultness. And I I imagine people at home are going, okay, well, how do I do that? Like, how literally do I do that? And Mm -hmm. I think it can be as simple as, you know, active listening, asking those follow-up questions, and sometimes explicitly asking someone you know, what are you, what, what would be helpful right now? Like, do you want to keep venting about this mm-hmm. or do you want to talk about solutions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This leads me to a, actually it's related to our relationships conversation earlier. It's related to a lot of things, but how would you recommend? And I think of this as a tactic, um, when you're asking somebody, well, how do you, how do you recommend people handle that balance of what they need in a relationship? As they're asking a question like, you know, do you need to vent or do you need to just be listened to or, or what are you looking for advice? I think, I think it's so complicated when we're in relationships. We talked about this in, in our other episode, how it can be really difficult for people to both hold the space for somebody else when they're in a deep period of struggle, as well as holding their own reactions to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if you have any recommendations for how to handle that, because I think that's a big challenge, <laughs> like, you know, and, and relationships yeah. are often the things that help us and sustain us, but they're also hard. So I think that there's, there's an interesting concept around grief that I think can be applied here. Um, and, and I've heard people talk about this idea of grief, thinking about concentric circles. Mm. And how, you know, at the center of the circle is the, the people closest to that person that has, that is now gone, that has died. And that, you know, then one circle out is maybe like extended family. And then one circle out are friends and one circle out are acquaintances. And it talked about how, you know, if you need to process how difficult someone's loss is to you, to just be aware that as a general rule, Processing to people who are in your same sort of ring of proximity or a ring outside of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so practically what this would look like is that, you know, if, if a coworker of mine died, I don't go to his partner and start talking about how hard it is on me that 
this coworker is gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that this can be something that is not used as a rule, but just as a general concept that can be helpful. You know, if, if my partner, if something happened to my partner and they're sharing with me, you know, how that's making them feel and I'm having feelings about it. There are times when it's appropriate for me to then share with my partner, gosh, and here's how I'm feeling about it. And there are going to be times when it might be more beneficial for me to kind of like listen, hold space for them. And then at a different time, go to one of my, like an outer ring, go to one of my friends, Mm. go to my therapist, go to a family member and go, okay, you know, my friend, like, for example, if you have a friend that goes, hey, I'm getting a divorce and they're talking to you about their divorce and them getting a divorce starts to give you feelings, right? You're like, okay, wow, if they can get a divorce, you know, anybody could get a divorce and is my marriage okay? And and you kind of, and you recognize like, oh, this is like, this isn't a thing to ask my friend to hold space for. That's like going through the divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can stay in that place with them and kind of put your thing. I, I literally visualize myself like putting it in a little pot and putting a lid on the pot mm-hmm. and putting it on the back burner and like turning it down to simmer. Mm-hmm. It's like, this mm-hmm. is still we're going to keep this warm uh, for another time and being able to stay in that space of helping my, my friend process through that. And then later going and finding someone else and going, I got, I got, I got a pot on the back burner that I need to, I need to bring it up front and center and turn it up to boil and really talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really, really good. Um, Since we're talking about heat, I, (laughs) And I'm going to ask you for, you know, if you have any final practical tactics for tapping into gratitude during hard seasons, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention, I mean, we've talked a lot about micro and how important that is. And my listeners certainly know how tuned I am to that. And I I do want to underscore that micro has really saved me during some dark times. And so I don't think you know this story. So I'm going to just tell you the story and some listeners might not be familiar with this one, but um. During the pandemic, I I haven't talked publicly about what was happening and I really can't do so now, but I was probably in one of the darkest places in my life and I was very alone and very unhappy and dealing with some really, really hard stuff that I had to deal with alone. I mean, with my partner, but people didn't know what was going on. And I found myself all of a sudden being the person who, like when I went to go to the coffee maker in the morning. I'm standing there in the dark. When I forgot to set it up the night before, I would get to the coffee maker in the morning and I would like burst into tears. Like it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just, that's how low it was. And so it was really sad and kind of pathetic. And then also I had a spark where I was like, wait a second. It was like co- former cognitive experimental psychologist, Christine kicked gear into gear. And I said, well, wait, if something that tiny can completely unravel me, uh, perhaps if I can remember to do it tomorrow, then that could be a source of like a good feeling, joy, gratitude, whatever. And so I did, I started trying to, like I set little reminders for myself and I started to set up the coffee early and, and it wasn't always perfect. Sometimes I forget, forgot, but routinely the days that I set it up in the morning, I'd be like, oh my God, Yes, today is going to be all right. 
It's a moment of gratitude. <laughs> yes. And then the days I didn't, I'd be like, oh. So I just want to say that because the time at the time these episodes are airing, and really whenever you come to them, because this is an evergreen situation, like having hard seasons and figuring out how to survive them. I just wanted to share that story again because really sometimes the little things are the big things. <laughs> That's where you I'm know, gonna leave that. I love that story because when you first talked about like, you know, standing in front of the coffee and and bursting into tears because the coffee's not there. And the first thing that I really thought was, you know, the purpose of gratitude is to alleviate suffering. It's not to fix pain and pain and suffering are different. Mm -hmm. Um, Pain is part of life. Things are painful and feeling pain is not wrong or bad. It's not comfortable, um, but it is survivable. Mm -hmm. Suffering is something in my experience that happens when we start to add certain thoughts and beliefs on top of pain. Ooh. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so having, um, you know, losing a job is painful. The thoughts of I've screwed up again. Mm. I'll never have a job that I like. I'll never going to like those sort of like that, that creates the suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think that gratitude is something that can be really helpful at pushing back against um, sort of that extra suffering that we add to it. Mm-hmm. But also, like, there are things in life that are so big and so painful that if what you're experiencing is just feeling pain, I don't think that there's, it's necessarily true that like, okay, quick, let's get grateful. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not something that like you have to be doing. It's not something that is maybe even what you should do those first few days of how painful it is or first few weeks or like what it like you're going to know the time frame right um it's not that feeling that pain is so bad and we need to make the pain less although we'd all like to be in less pain mm-hmm. um i think that as you move through that pain authentically as you cry in front of that coffee pot right that there will come a day when you go okay is there something that i could do to care for myself in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that you are like obligated to think that on the first day that you cry in front of the coffee pot. Yes. Like you're allowed to just cry in front of the coffee pot because that's how hard it is, however many days it's necessary. And then like there'll come a time when you get, you can, you know, break the surface for a moment and get a breath. And it, I think what it is, is about empowering people in those moments of get coming up for air to go, okay, now that I've got a breath, how can I care for myself? Mm-hmm. What beauty is around me? How can I set up, you know, make my coffee pot for me? Can I move my slippers to my bed so that I can wake up and feel the gratitude of warm feet as I, you know, walk across the floor? Um, and, and I think that it's important for us to kind of put gratitude at its right sizedness, so it doesn't become that toxic kind of band-aid. Yes. Ooh. Like it's, like it's powerful, Beautiful. but it's not all powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, Casey, we need to wrap things up. And I want to conclude with what 
we always conclude with on the show, which is called Your Next Edit. It's a really tactical action that people can consider doing right after we finish the show. I'm going to give you a moment to collect your thoughts while I share one that actually is inspired by you and your conversation with Dr. Raquel Martin and then our follow-up here. And my Your Next Edit for listeners is I would like people to identify three. I'm not even going to ask you to capture all the senses, but three different sensory delights that you could tap into, uh, whether it's a piece of music or a good smelling candle or whatever it is. But you pick your three. But I like the idea that people could have access to three different sensory delights during their hard times. <laughs> Does this exercise make sense? Would you like yeah. to share your next edit now? I like it. Um, yeah. So my 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 charge would be um, to give yourself the extra beat when you recognize something in your day that has brought you pleasure. Um, so whether it's something funny you saw, something good you smelled, something great you ate, um, something, you know, the interaction to allow yourself an extra beat to just literally in your head go, oh, that was good. Mm. Those gratitude journals, they had an impact. <laughs> I know. I hate to say it. <laughs> Casey, this was so delightful. I really, I just feel really filled up from our two conversations that we had. And I can't wait to share both episodes with the Edit Your Life community. So thank you. I am tremendously grateful for our new friendship and to be connected with you. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much. Friends, was that not so wonderful? If you haven't yet had a chance to listen to part one of this conversation over on Struggle Care, please go do that or mark it in your queue ASAP. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Bree. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.